Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Monday, July 11th, and today we're going to talk about the latest crave to kind of sweep the world, I guess, uh, Pokemon Go. And Chris, why don't I start with some background? I came into the office this morning and mentioned Pokemon Go, and uh, with the exception of one of our summer analysts, I got kind of blank stares back from the office. And given what our audience skews, I think we might need to give them a little bit of background so they're not wondering what we're talking about. Uh, Pokemon Go is a new game, and it's gone completely viral. Uh, basically, what you do is you walk along the street, and you can use Google Maps to catch Pokemon, and it kind of screens them over reality. Uh, the game's strangely addicting, and it's gone super viral. It launched last Tuesday or Wednesday. By Friday, it had been installed on 5.2% of all of all U.S. Android phones. That makes it 2.5x as big as Twitter. Uh, about 3% of Android users are using the game each day, which puts it kind of in league with Twitter. Oh, sorry, that was 2.5x as big as Tinder. It's in league with Twitter in terms of daily average users. And the stock market's reacted incre- incredibly favorably. Nintendo shares were up 25% today, which I think is limit up in Japan. And they're up 35 to 40% since the game launched, about $9 billion in value created. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about the investing implications, all sorts of other stuff. But uh, why don't you just kick it off with general thoughts on Pokemon Go? I think most strong reactions are overreactions, and most uh, to call it something a fad or a craze is sort of an insult. And it always feels like you're being more sensible by saying, "Oh, that's an overreaction. It's probably not that big a deal." But this is an underreaction. I mean, this is the kind of thing where you could have a company that, uh, well, first of all, limit up. I, I'm always skeptical. Yeah, about yeah, that. limit up. Just, so, yeah, this company's gone as as much as it can today. We're going to save everyone from buying at the price they want to buy, which yeah. is really an arbitrary uh, limit. Uh, and secondly, I think, you know, where do I start analysis? I start analysis with priors. Well, uh, in modernity, when you're dealing with tech and you're dealing with kind of uh, horizontal social contacts that are driving a new marketing thing, you know, like things can be much, much more viral than anything mm-hmm. else in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. You have not tried Pokemon Go yet, I so though uh, we were talking earlier, and you're like, "How quickly can I get my kids onto this thing?" But what are your favorite kind of ridiculous stories of Pokemon Go so far? Why don't we go through those before we hit the investing? Uh, the robbers. Okay, so, why don't you tell it? Uh, people who set up Pokemon hotspots to lure uh, Pokemon uh, users to an area to rob them. I will tell you my favorite. I think that's a great one, and it's really impressive how quickly they managed to set up kind of a sophisticated robbing thing yeah. on Pokemon Go. It's sort of entrepreneurial. Yeah. My favorite was I was in New York City. I live in New York City, and yesterday I was walking down the street, and everyone was just on their phones, walking through bike lanes, traffic, just no no sense of risk because they were trying to catch the next Pokemon. No, there's definitely emergency room ramifications for those. People are coming in with abrasions and bruises specific to Pokemon. You know, so this could be this could impact the health insurers. I believe the Public Safety uh, Administration of Australia put out a warning that was like, if you're playing this, like be aware of your surroundings, and they even have a warning on the front of the game. But why don't we move on to invest, investing sure. specifics? I, I think you kind of mentioned, is this a big overreaction? And there's an argument yes and no. And I'll let you take either side and start diving into it. And, well, uh, we well, well yes. I mean, first of all, you have to kind of break apart who really owns this. Mm-hmm. And so Nintendo is kind of the go-to uh, security vehicle. Yep. Um, but they don't actually own the app. 
all the value does not accrue to them specifically. Yeah, so the app was released by uh, Niantic. I'm not quite sure how to say it, but that's a Google spinoff. Mm-hmm. They released the app, and uh, how it actually happens is, first of all, Nintendo doesn't even own Pokemon. Pokemon's a joint venture that right. Nintendo owns a stake in, but Nintendo and their Pokemon joint venture own a stake in Niantic, the, the Google spinoff that released this thing. So they'll get equity value from it. They'll get paid a licensing fee from it. But 100% of the value doesn't accrue to them directly. I've seen probably somewhere between about 30 to 50% once you include all the licensing fee and everything, value will, include, will accrue to them. Um, I would also say that we look at a lot of small and microcap companies where it's not that unusual to have a good event and drive the stock price up 20 or 30% in a day. Uh, but it can be fairly mundane in terms of dollars. In this case, it's a really big company. It's $9 billion. So, yeah. so Nintendo's valued at $35 billion, yep. and uh, it means this is a $10 billion move. Yes. That's a big move. And, and when you start thinking about uh, gaming companies like this, the most successful one ever, I would say, is Supercell, yep. which releases Clash of Clans. And literally last month, they were sold at a $10 billion valuation. So when you start thinking a $10 billion move in Nintendo stock, you're saying Pokemon Go alone has created as much value as the most successful game gaming company in history. And remembering that Nintendo might only get 50% of the economics, you're kind of saying Pokemon Go has created twice as much value. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. So so, so I think I think there are reasons to say it's it's certainly a strong reaction. It might be an overreaction, but there's also reasons why it might not be. Let me just hit a couple of reasons it might be an, uh, uh, it might be an overreaction real quick. So I think if you look at history, games have a history of burning brightly and flaming out quickly. Yeah. Uh, just last month, Slither.io was all the rage. It was extremely viral. There was a, I think it was a front page story on the Wall Street Journal about it. And now it's kind of been lost as people switch over to Pokemon. So you've definitely got a history of things going viral for a few weeks and then dying down. Words with Friends in 2011 was a great example. Everyone's doing it. And then after a couple months, you know, some people are still doing it, but it kind of dies down. And uh, I also want to point out the similarities between Nintendo stock run when the Wii was first released. That was released in about 2006, 2007, and their stock went up by 4 to 5x uh, on the kind of run-up in the excitement on the Wii. But eventually it gave all those gains back, and if you had kind of invested at 2005 and held it through last week, you actually would have been flat despite all the Wii excitement. So Nintendo's got a history of releasing things that get people excited, but it might not create permanent value. Uh, but so those are the reasons why this might be an overreaction. But I think both of us agree that there are a lot of reasons why the market uh, might be right in having this big reaction. And I'll let you start there, too. Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I think that it really comes down to the virility that it's uh, that, it, that there's and that there's a lot more that they can uh, that they can uh, play off this. I mean, so it's, you know. It's not just it's not just a specific investing opportunity, but it's a data point. You know, exactly. if they can do this, you know, it really moves them. Uh, in some ways, this is the kind of thing we've been waiting for. In some ways, for a company that makes new games, it's a stodgy company, mm-hmm. uh, which is a funny cultural combination. And uh, in some ways, you can say, "Geez, with that IP." You're not really sucking that much. You're not optimizing it. You're not sucking that much value out of it. And now all of a sudden you see this and like, well, what if you did this with each one of your uh, products? Exactly. So Nintendo, they've got unbelievable IP. They own Mario, Donkey Kong, and Zelda, all of which I think you could argue maybe are more valuable than Pokemon. Mm -hmm. And to date, they have resisted releasing things on mobile titles. 
Uh, this is their first mobile title, so if you think of this move as not just signaling the increase in value from Pokemon, but that they're starting to shift to using all this IP to accrue value on mobile titles, I think that's really interesting. And, and one thing I was thinking is, you know, there are 1.5 million game titles out there, and having great IP really helps you differentiate them. Uh, Activision Blizzard, they've got great IP, but they haven't been able to monetize it on mobile games. They just bought King, uh, King, who makes Candy Crush, and the thesis was King knows how to monetize IP. They can help us monetize this great IP. Uh, the other thing is Nintendo, they really haven't tried to do anything on movies or TV outside of kind of that awful 1993 Super Mario movie. If you think about Mario movies, Donkey Kong, Zelda, all those sort of movies, there's probably a lot of potential to start monetizing those as like Netflix TV shows or that sort of stuff. There, there's so many ways to make money on bad movies these days. I mean, it's just on mass market movies that where you can just kind of solve for what the demand is. And even the unsuccessful ones, you get your money back these yeah, days. I didn't see it. I, I heard it was actually good, but like there was an angry birds movie and that that game has no storyline and they turned that into a movie need for speed is a game about racing cars and they turned that into a movie there's no reason a mario donkey kong zelda shouldn't be a kind of a movie franchise uh let's see so i think that's one data point i think there's another data point that says hey nintendo's a standalone right now they'd make a lot more sense under a conglomerate and i'll let you jump in with that absolutely yeah no um i would say that uh Japanese businesses of the sort are very well defended. It would be nearly impossible to do other than on consensual terms. But if at some point they were willing to wanted to sell, it would be a just a layup of a deal target. Yeah, and you know what? I want to dive into that Japanese point for a little bit. Uh, you know, this is a company that they they're a Japanese company and there's been no room for activism look and if a US company who was in gaming resisted mobile gaming for 5 or 6 years with this IP activism would have come in and fired this company within a second so management might have uh, objectives other than maximizing shareholder value and that could have been a reason why a it was so cheap before people just thought they'd never get on the mobile gaming trend and why this move up could have happened but uh diving into the conglomerate thing i think Comcast bought DreamWorks for their unique IP. They saw tons of opportunities for using it in licensing, theme parks, new shows. Uh, we mentioned that on our May 4th podcast. And you'd have to see the same thing with kind of Mario, Mario, Donkey Kong, all that. And uh, I think Disney would be the most likely acquirer if you want to talk about that. Absolutely. You know, there'd be... Uh they're uh, they'd really be able to do it. They can use the characters for their theme parks. They can make the movies out of it. This yep. is, I mean, in terms of fitting two companies together, I think that would probably be the most logical buyer. Um, but there's others. You know, Netflix could buy them. Yeah, right? uh, but I think Disney culturally, it would be. We'll talk about some Disney targets later. I think, but culturally. Nintendo makes things that are kind of more kid-oriented in terms of mm -hmm. games. It would just be a home run for them. And on Disney's side, they've never really been able to sell video games. So getting the Nintendo kind of video game know-how might be interesting for them as well. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Or do you want to dive into huge optionality? Huge optionality. Yeah, so you mentioned it a little bit. Uh, you know, Pokemon Go, how quickly it's gone viral. I think it shows the rapid scalability of an app and using the great IP to kind of drive the rapid scalability of an app. Uh, the Pokemon Go game, I think a lot of people are saying... Oh, like the first date launched it down, it might have generated five million of revenue, and there's no way it can justify kind of the huge uh, market cap increase. But when you start thinking about the opportunities to use Pokemon Go, I mean, robbers use it to lure people to rob, rob people, but <laughs> retailers could use it to lure people to their stores. Brands could give away sponsored items to drive brand awareness and have people kind of throwing like the Coca, using the Coca Cola level booster or whatever. 
I'm a skeptic of this kind of thing, but I look at this and I think this could be the future. I mean, this could be some huge part of the future. Yeah, yeah. And maybe not Pokemon Go itself, but the augmented realities thing and oh, everything. Yeah, yeah. augmented yeah. reality. Yeah. I mean, I look at this and I think I understand monetization profitability and doing something because it's lucrative and I understand fun but I think that historically there's always this third big category of things that aren't particularly lucrative and aren't particularly fun but people feel obligated to Mm -hmm. do and with modern technology I think one of the coolest things about it is it kind of eats away at that kind of vague uh, obligations that people feel for yep. reasons that aren't particularly fun and aren't particularly lucrative and it frees up time for people to do things that are cool and things that make money and, and this could be both and Pokemon Go it, it's something that you can do for free and brands can find a way to make it lucrative for everyone by putting sponsored advertising in them yeah. so those are Nintendo investing implications I think there are two or three broader implications we want to talk about uh, the first one is I think this shows the value of kind of unique IP as the world gets mm-hmm. scal- more scalable. And uh, do you want to talk about a couple places where you might find that unique IP and be able to invest in it? Sure. And I would just I would just throw in the unique IP in a world where it's scalable and where we are learning how to defeat more and more types of explicit advertising, mm-hmm. uh, especially irrelevant uh, advertising. Uh, Lionsgate, I think, is one example that we've talked a lot about. Um, they own the right to Hunger Games movies, um, and they're in the process of buying stars right now. Yep, we mentioned that one on our June 30th podcast, but they've got the rights to all the Hunger Games movies. They haven't started really turning that into theme parks. I think there's definitely a room for like Hunger Games prequels, Hunger Games sequels, a Hunger Games TV show. So they've got that really unique IP asset. They don't own the book rights, but they own all rights to movies and spinoffs. So I think that's interesting. I'll take the next one. One that I've spent a lot of time looking at is uh, the WWE, the wrestling group. Uh, They own all those characters and storylines, all the historical characters. And if you think about things that fans love and that if brand advertisers need something that kind of draws fan attention, that's it. Uh, Analysts have speculated for a long time that Disney might want to acquire them. I don't know if culturally that would fit, but Comcast, which airs their shows, could acquire them as well. Go ahead. How many of their individual characters have they really kind of had break out? I mean, it's been very few, and it's been fairly successful in one or two cases. Well, you know, I mean, I think The Rock and Hulk Hogan are the two ones that you would point to as, like, huge superstar fans. But uh, the WWE, I think it's, like, the second most liked thing on Facebook or something. So Mm -hmm. their individual characters might not have transcended completely. Actually, John Cena, now that I think about it, has been great. He's hosting the Disney ESPN. PN Espy's uh, award show this week. So, and I'm not that aware of him, yeah. but I have I have young uh, boys, and they're they're they know who that guy is. Yeah. So, they, they so I think there's a lot of crossover appeal, and I think if you've got something that fans love, that's very unique IP that can really help drive things. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect comp, but the UFC appeals to a lot of people with a lot of same passions, mm-hmm. and that sold today for four billion dollars, and the WWE's kind of valued at one point five billion dollars today. It, I, you could wake up one day and see Comcast acquire them for a hundred percent premium, much like you saw Comcast acquire Dreambreeze for almost a hundred percent premium earlier this year. UFC was one of the all-time great investments, and I just over the last few decades, you could make money and just pick any single category you want and picture one level dramatizing or coarsening popular culture if you say culture has these standards and nobody mm-hmm. really enunciates why they have them but they've kind of arbitrary social standards you say i'm just going to be more depraved than that yep. in any single category has made incredible amounts of money over the last few decades and we are actually going to talk about ufc in a later okay. in a podcast we'll later this week that. so we'll come back to that. back to that uh but you know along a similar thing 
One way you could have gotten rich is if 15 years ago you had bought something that was considered a toy for the rich. You could have gotten rich. Mm-hmm. And something that's publicly traded that has unique IP, the Liberty Braves. Uh, we've mentioned them on a previous podcast, May 11th, but I'll let you talk about yeah, that. The, the, it's kind of depressing thinking back, but if I look at the things that far richer people could easily afford appropriately and I could not really afford other than paying totally inappropriate amounts of money. Those things in almost every case would make more money than mm. the things I thought would be good investments would have made. You know, art that I can't really afford. Yeah. And so and the, it's really a yeah, toys for the real rich has, been, has just been spectacular. Well, Liberty Braves, uh, something we've talked about a bit in the past, uh, one of the few publicly traded vehicles for uh, for a public ownership of Major League Baseball. There's been uh, progress since we mentioned it on our May 11th podcast in terms of potential interest of their uh, internet uh, mm-hmm. assets. That's yeah. a big part of their value. But uh, Exactly. But I think when you think, how do advertisers drive attention uh, going forward? And one of the ways is people love sports teams, mm-hmm. people love sports players. And I think that sports team, there's only one of them. And I think their value continues to grow as people look to kind of get assets that drive views and drive scale. Uh, and an out-of-the-box winner I want to uh, just discuss real quickly is people who control Spectrum and data companies. So the, obviously, the obvious ones would be Verizon and AT&T, but uh, something like Dish, which t- owns a ton of uh, unused Spectrum right now. Pokemon Go is super data-intensive, uh, and I think short-term people are going to blow through to their data caps using it. But I think longer-term, this proves the value of augmented reality. Uh, and I think you can start th- seeing things like, what if there was a shooting game where like shooters popped up behind walls and stuff, and people are just going to burn through data. And if I was a uh, company that had Spectrum right now, I would be thinking, I need a lot more of it because the world is going to get more and more data intensive. Go ahead. Through the years, as much as I've never smoked, I've invested in tons, tons, several of the companies, but big investments throughout my investing career in tobacco. And I thought, gosh, I just wish every single one of my investments were physically addictive. You know, it's a wonderful <laughs> characteristic to have of your investments, if not things you actually use yourself. And this, I mean, it's really close to that in terms of addictiveness. Um, and uh, so not only do people use a lot, but they probably might use more data than they ever really intended to. Yeah. And if these companies can keep that going, boy, that's going to be super valuable. I saw some comments that was like, I have a one gigabyte data plan and I use 700 megabytes of it on Saturday alone playing Pokemon Go like people are going to be going through the data caps and all the spectrum is going to be so uh, critical Uh, Dish is one I'll mention they they have bought swaths and swaths of really nice spectrum and they obviously don't have a wireless offering right now but they're always rumored as a takeout candidate for someone who might want to buy them to use their spectrum to either increase their own or launch a fifth wireless company. You mentioned Comcast a couple times. A lot of people think they might buy them to launch a uh, fifth wireless company. I think this whole thing is a big deal. I think it is incredibly cool. I think it is the start of something that you use a game to get people kind of used to augmented reality. But it's kind of like when Wozniak would the kind of the, his first rudimentary efforts at PCs were just to play games. Yeah. And it's like, that's a cool way to start thinking about it. You're building something unbelievable, but you're kind of 1% of 1% of 1% of what this really means. And I think we're here with this. That is such a great analogy. One thing I, I was thinking about today is like, you know, when the iPhone launched, people said this is a touch, this is a touch iPod that you can call people on. And that, yes, it was that, that but that so undersold everything that the mm-hmm. iPhone can be. And people who are thinking Pokemon Go, oh, it's Pokemon overlaid on Google Maps are kind of missing the point. It's something that begins to allow us to interact with the world through computers, technology, all that sort of stuff. All right. I- 
Go ahead. Ten I, I, seconds. I just think there's going to be a lot more that's social and a lot more that's actively interactive with the space around that is historical, architectural, educational that has to do with the cities and places you're in and uses games as part of that. It, it, that's one of the great things about Pokemon. But yeah, I think we've got to cut it off there. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. If you like this podcast, please be sure to take the time to subscribe and rate us iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom. Uh, disclosure, Chris, we mentioned stars, which I am long. I know you're long stars as well. Are you, I think you're long Lionsgate as well. Anything a little else bit of Lionsgate. A little, just, just a smidgen of Lionsgate. Okay. Anything else? Or is nope. that good? Okay, great. Those are our disclosures, and we will talk to you guys later this week.